Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. It's great to see all of you here. It's, it was freezing this morning, wasn't it? It was nearly freezing. It was 37, I think, when I woke up, so it was chilly, at least. So I was away at a, week, at a, a wedding this weekend. My nephew got married, so I got to perform my nephew's uh, wedding ceremony down in San Marcos, like northern San Diego County, and it was really cold outside, and as you probably are aware, it was raining yesterday, and so there was a break in the rain enough for the ceremony, which was an outdoor ceremony there in San Marcos. So I was looking at the weather, and I was like, oh, this is going to be rough, you know, what's our plan B if it rains, and and thankfully there was enough of a break in the rain, and, and... a lot of challenges for the ceremony being so cold, um, like actually the ceremony for 30 minutes sitting there, people shivering, and I had to like read their body language, which was like, hurry up. That was basically what they were saying, was hurry up, get to the point. And, uh, but I don't like to rush through weddings because they're so important. And they're, they, you know what? Everyone can be cold for 30 minutes because we're going to go slowly through this Unless it starts pouring, then I just would have moved under an awning that that we had there. But uh, anyway, it was a real privilege to be a part of my my nephew's wedding. It's good to be back home, and I'm glad that it's a little warmer right now, and uh, that we're inside as well. So if you missed any of the series that we're in, you can check it out on our website. We're looking at our identity. We're looking specifically at the book of First Peter, and walking through this and the core issue of identity. We've defined identity as this. It's, it's who you are at the core of your being. That's your identity. Who you are at the core of your being. Now, if you identify yourself as a Christ follower, then, and I know some of you here do, and some of you are still sorting through that, but if you do identify yourself as a Christ follower, then that's your primary identity. Okay? A Christ follower. That's the core of who you are. That's your new primary identity. Now, your primary identity as a Christ follower is not to be confused with the many secondary identity roles that you spend and I spend much of our lives developing. Uh, Many of these roles that we do and play are very important. Roles like dad or mom or, or husband or teacher or athlete or whatever your role is or boss or employee. Those are, those are important roles, but those are secondary identity roles. We spend so much of our times, of our days, functioning in those roles, and very easily those roles can rise in priority and can begin to compete with our primary identity. And so that's why we're in this series. We're answering the question, what's the identity of a Christ follower? What does the Scripture say is, is our identity? And so uh, we're in the second chapter now of First Peter. And in, in chapter 2, there are several images and metaphors that start coming out in this chapter. And most of these images and metaphors are plural. Okay, so they're plural metaphors referring to groups of people. Whereas in some of the things we looked at in chapter 1, it was, it was to the individual, like this is who you are. Now, now Peter's shifting in some ways and he's talking about this is who you are as a group. Okay, this is groups of people he's talking about. Groups of Christ followers. Now, group sports... Uh, and group play is, those types of experiences are very different than individual play. Wouldn't you agree? 
group play versus individual play. Very, very different. I recently played a cooperative game. Uh, it was a game called Reverse Charades. Here's a picture of, of the, the cover of that game, Reverse Charades. You've probably all played charades where, you know, one person is acting out and a whole group of people are, are trying to guess what they're acting out and you're trying to get as many as you can get in a minute. With Reverse Charades, uh, the whole group of people are acting this word out and one person is trying to guess the chaos of what they're acting, okay? And so... I was with a group of about 20 friends, and there was about 20, you know, there was 10 on each side. And so uh, at one point came our turn, and so nine, about nine of us, were going to act this card out. Okay, here's the, here's the word, okay? Okay, now let me explain how this went down, okay? Um, one person, and, and I got her permission to share this story because it was, it was so much fun. I haven't laughed this hard, I think, in years. So... A group of us, we've got to act this out, and one person from our team is sitting on the couch trying to guess what we're acting. And so this one gal from our team, she gets down on her knees, and she begins to jack up an imaginary car, okay? She's jacking up an imaginary car, and then she's kind of like unbolting the lug nuts, you know, imaginary car, lug nuts. And then she begins to try to take off the tire, right? You know, she's, she's trying to change the tire because she's using a car jack, right? The rest of us had a totally different thing in our mind of what was happening there. So it looked to me like she was driving a car, and we're carjacking her. <laughs> and so we come up to her car, and we're like, get out of the car, get out of the car. And, she, and, and then it's like, and then we start like, you know, pretending like we're beating her up <laughs> from all sides. And her face, she had this, this is what she looked like, she's like, she had this horrified face, like, what are you doing to me? Is this what normally <laughs> happens, you know? And it made sense to all of us that she had that face because we thought she was just playing along and being carjacked. But she wouldn't stop driving the car. And I'm like, man, so we got to take it up a notch. So I, like, pull out the gun, you know? I'm like, get out of the car. And the person on the couch still isn't guessing what's happening because of her face and the things she was doing. And we get through with a whole minute of this, and, uh, and I'm about to throw her out of the vehicle, but then I thought, I don't want to take it too far, you know? So I, the minute comes up, and it's, it's we're like, it, we, and she's like, what is, you know, what's happening? She's like, I'm using a car jack. And we're like, oh, oh my gosh, we couldn't recover. It was the best laugh. It was one of those laughs where you just need to laugh. Because you've held up a lot of laughter for many years. And so that's how it felt. <laughs> so anyway. It was pretty hilarious. But that's what happens in a group when you're not in sync with each other, right? But when you are in sync with each other, and there were some rounds where we were really in sync. And it was like we could just, we were flying through the cards. So we'd get like seven cards, eight cards, and like the, the teams, you know, could just really put together some momentum and when you're working together, that's how it is. You start really building steam and momentum. It's a lot of fun. I actually admit, it's, it's more fun to win as a team than just by yourself doing individual play. But there's this native struggle, I think, that we all tend, tend to bring into life, which is, I'm going to keep to myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do life as an individual. It's more natural to just think individual play than it is group play. And so we have to make a shift. But if you choose to follow Christ, then a major shift occurs. You... you 
you know, God wants to connect you to something much larger. It's his family. And if you become a child in his family, you're not an only child. You might be an only child here in your family, but you're not an only child in God's family. God connects us to a new spiritual family. and You become a part of a spiritual building, and then we begin to build collectively together with our lives. And so that's what we're going to look at this message. That's why we've entitled it Built Together, Building Together. What, what do you think it means to, to be built together? Let's look at the passages that really give some interesting imagery about, about how this happens, about how Christ followers have been included this is the top of your listening guide. Christ followers have been included in God's spiritual household. Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10. This is written to Christ followers, who in, verse, in chapter 1 we learn, Christ followers have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb. So you've been redeemed with something precious. So then chapter 2, Peter writes, Therefore... Because you've been redeemed, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He's saying, get rid of all the wickedness. Interesting, he begins with rid yourselves. Meaning, this was the natural stuff for a person. This is, just, this is our default. This is our presets in life, is that we, we bring a lot of sinful baggage into this world. Not just one of us, all of us. <laughs> we all naturally struggle with these things that Peter says, now rid yourself. You become a Christ follower, he's redeemed you. Now rid yourself of, of malice. That's like wickedness. Deceit, you know, lying, hiding the truth, hypocrisy, playing games. Get rid of pretending, he's saying. Envy, slander, get rid of all those kinds of things. And he says, that's the old, that's the old you. you. You need to change. Get rid of that stuff. Verse 2 says this, like newborn babies crave Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Okay, crave pure spiritual milk. Remember, you've been reborn spiritually. Peter said in first chapter, you were born again. Okay, you've been born again. Well, feed on the Word of God. Feed on this. God's words. You'll grow up in your salvation. Verse 3 says, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, you know, feed on this. Feed on God's Word. For a Christ follower, you cannot have major growth without feeding on God's Word for yourself. You can try, but you'll be disappointed. You'll be severely malnourished in life if you try to, to just grow without God's Word. If you're a baby, which he says, look, you've been reborn. So we start out as babes in Christ, in a sense. If you're a baby, then that's all you know initially as a baby in this world is eat, live, and sleep. Repeat. Eat, live, sleep. Now, there's a few other things that happen in there, you know. But eat, live, and sleep, repeat. For a little while, that, that's, what is, that's what's going on, right? It's eat, live, and sleep. But if you've been born spiritually, reborn, then you had a whole way of doing life before you came to Christ. And it feels like you've got so much still going on in life. And then, how am I going to find time to feed on God's Word? Where will I find it? I've already got stuff to do. But just as a child needs the nutrients of milk to grow healthy, there's just, Peter's saying, there's no way to grow without regular time with God. Focus time to just sit with God's Word, read it, 
reflect on it, mull on it, pray over it, and then respond to it. Say, God, yes, I'm going to get in line with your ways. And we begin to respond. He, he, he shows us through his word more and more about who we are, our identity. He shows us how to live in light of how we've been redeemed. Now, if you're living without this as a Christ follower, this is, if you're living without this and you say, I'm a Christ follower, but I'm kind of, I'm not really feeding on this, like what Peter's saying, then your life is more than likely pretty hollow right now. And maybe pretty shallow right now. And more than likely, you feel that hollowness and that emptiness. And that's because of a spiritual kind of mal, malnourishment that's going on. Peter, he's hammering on this because it's so very critical for us to feed on God's Word for ourselves. This this is really not the heart of where I want to camp out in, in this chapter, but if this is where you're at this morning and you're just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm off and running in my life and I'm doing the things I used to do and I've, I've added Christ in and I'm just running, but I don't have time to really slow down and focus on the new life that God, then, then you're missing something that's absolutely critical for your growth and you're starving. And the people around you are more than likely being pretty impacted because of that. It's not just doesn't stop here when I am, am starving myself. It impacts my family, my friends, my, my roles. And so stop and consider how to yield to this point in God's Word. Sometimes it's a wrestling match in, in, when we get into Scripture. It's like we wrestle down some hard things, whether it's a hard thing mentally to understand or whether it's just a hard thing to do. I'd call that something really hard to do, to, to feed on God's Word regularly and then keep yielding to Him. Now, here's, here's where the passage turns and gets actually more mentally um, more difficult. So far, it's pretty, it's not mentally difficult, but it's, it's going to get a little more challenging. Verse 4, Peter says, he writes, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. So he, he's talking about Jesus here. Jesus, this metaphor, the living stone, that's Jesus. Okay? And this is a reference to, to Jesus. Peter's going to explain it more in the coming verses. And so we'll just get to that. Jesus is the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. And then verse 5, it says, you also, he's talking to the, to the church, to, to the group of Christ followers, you also like living stones. There's something very similar he's saying. You're like, like the living stone. You are not the living stone. He's the living stone. But you're like the living, you're like living stones. There's a purpose you're being built, he says, into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And he's saying, you Christians, he's saying, you have a role to play in this spiritual house. You're priests. In other words, you minister and you serve in this spiritual house, in the spiritual household, the body. It's not just me as a pastor who does the ministry here. We often think that that's the case, but it's every Christ follower. Peter's saying every Christian is a minister. Every person has a role to play in this. You're to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What is that? Well, we offer our lives to God. We offer our service to God. We serve Him. We give. We, we, we aim to live holy lives. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We aim to live differently here on earth. We're just passing through, Peter says. You're exiles here. You want to live differently here. Your life is going to look different than the world here. That's an offering to God when you live a holy life. Or 
when you love people deeply, that's, that's offering a spiritual sacrifice to God. And that, that is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then Peter, he starts to connect the metaphor of this living stone to three Old Testament passages that foretold the coming of Jesus Christ, as well as the impact that Jesus would make on people and the response that some would have. And so these verses that Peter's going to reference, you'll see them in quotes. These were written hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth, but they're about Christ. So it says in verse 6, for in Scripture, it says, see I lay a stone. Okay, he's referencing the stone. See I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Now, Zion in the Bible typically or most often refers to the hill, the high hill where the city of Jerusalem was built. Jerusalem was built up high, like a fortress in a sense. And so Zion actually is a word that has links to the idea of fortification. And that's where Jerusalem was built, up high, like a fortress. And God was going to do something in the, in the city of Jerusalem. Um, see, I lay a stone in Zion... A chosen and precious cornerstone. This is from Isaiah. Now, a cornerstone is the crucial foundation stone. If we were to build a a masonry structure, a rock building or a stone building, uh, the cornerstone is the visible support on which the rest of the building relies for strength and for stability. Here's a picture of a cornerstone. So for this structure, that, that cornerstone is essential. It's typically the first stone in the construction of a building on the outer corner where two intersecting walls come together. It is the support stone. It's the cornerstone. And it says this, of the, of the stone, this prophecy in Isaiah, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Whoever trusts in the cornerstone, now this is Jesus. Now if this, if you think, well, maybe it's not talking about Jesus. Maybe it's just talking about a building, a temple, a a physical location. But if that were just a physical location, it wouldn't use the phrase, and the one who trusts in him. Okay, It would say, the one who trusts in that, in that building, or in it. But this is a person. This is a reference to our Savior, who, this was 700 years before he's coming to the earth. Whoever trusts in him will never be put to shame. If you trust in Christ which we do. We trust in Christ, much like a building rests on its cornerstone. And if you trust in Christ as your cornerstone, what that means is you're depending on Christ to hold you up through this life and to take you to eternal life. He's your cornerstone. Imagine, get your mind around the picture of He's holding you up. You can only have one cornerstone, though. You, you can't say, oh, I'm on the cornerstone and I've got, I've got one foot on the cornerstone and one foot on some other, some other thing that's holding me up. But this is what a lot of us try to do. I've got, I got one foot on Christ, the cornerstone, and i got another foot on my money or my plan or, or my good works to save me. I'm going to try to put a lot of good works together. And between Jesus and all my good works, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good. Or, or the faith of my parents. For some people, that's their other cornerstone. They're they're stepping on, they're trying to secure their life based on the faith of their parents. Or maybe their good looks or their success. Whatever it is, you can only have one cornerstone to hold you up. And Peter believed this so deeply that he risked his life on so many occasions. And at one point, Peter was preaching to the 
to the masses, Peter and John, and this is early on in the church. Jesus has already ascended to be with the Father in heaven, and Peter and John are doing ministry, and they, they pray for a guy who's, who's uh, crippled, and God heals this person through their prayers. The Jewish religious leaders were thrown into a frenzy. They felt really threatened by Peter and John, and so they had those two men hauled off and put in prison overnight. And then they take them out of prison. They began to question Peter and John and said this. They basically asked, by what authority do you heal? Whose name? Do you, who do you think you are? Whose name are you acting upon? And, and this is what Peter replies to them. Peter replies, salvation is found in no one else. In other words, there's only one cornerstone. I, this salvation, there's no one else that's going to hold my life up. Peter believed this. There's only one cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And Peter was just one of many who trusted in Christ as their cornerstone. What about you? Who, who are you trusting in? Who are you standing on? Is Christ your solid rock, your foundation? Why not you? Maybe, maybe you're like, well, I, I'm not there yet. Why not you? Why not today? What's, what's, what's holding you up from trusting in Christ? Consider that. Think through that. Wrestle through that. Look at verse 7. Peter continues and he says, Now to you who believe, back to the Christ followers, to you who believe, this stone is precious, meaning Jesus is precious. For those who believe, Jesus is the precious cornerstone. You're counting on him. He's the cornerstone. But to those who do not believe, there's a sharp contrast here for those who believe in Christ and those who don't believe in Christ. And then he cites from a different verse. This is from Psalm 118, verse 22. Peter, he recites that psalm. It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Different Greek word there, capstone. Typically we think of a capstone as the point where a structure comes together and it holds at the head, at the top. Uh, but this word can actually also mean cornerstone. And the next verse actually is the clue that lets us know he's still talking about foundation stones, the cornerstone. Some of your Bibles probably read capstone here. Some, some of your Bibles probably read cornerstone. I would go with cornerstone. Uh, but it says of this stone, the stone this, this stone Jesus is the one that the builders rejected. Some people tossed him aside, rejected him, found him useless. But in fact, God has made him the capstone, the cornerstone, the support, the key, the foundation. And look at verse 8. This is why I know it's cornerstone on the ground is because verse 8, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. There's, you don't trip on a capstone if they're up in the air. You trip on a cornerstone because they're a foundation stone. And so he's talking about foundations. Jesus is a stone that caused some people to stumble and a rock that made some people fall. Now, for, for some, Christ and his message is a stumbling block, isn't it? The message of Jesus is a stumbling block. Last night, I, I mentioned I performed a wedding ceremony. It was a blend of church people and unchurched people. There was family and friends uh, of both the bride and, and the groom, but Christian weddings, at least ceremonies that I do, they're like a worship service because they're very significant to highlight what God is doing through a marriage and how this is a picture to the world of who God is. 
how he cares for his people and, and, and what he's done. And when you start describing that in a marriage, the concern that often comes up is, and then I've, I've experienced this many times in doing weddings, is people will let me know, hey, we just want to let you know there's a lot of non-Christians, a lot of unchurched people that are going to be here at this service. And we just, we're not sure what they're going to think when they hear the message, or if you're going to preach out of the Bible, what, what, what they're going to hear out of the Bible. And when you start talking about the description of the roles, and this isn't from yesterday, but I've had this experience at many weddings. And so it's common for people to be really anxious about how is everybody going to handle this in such a mixed crowd, which makes me strangely excited. Because this, this is what, for me, church has been all about. Is I hope this is a mixed crowd of people where we're inviting folks and friends and family who are, who are curious about Christ and are asking questions. And so we want to know how to help people who are far from God. And the truth is, we were all far from God. Apart, you know, because of our sin, we were all enemies to God. Some of you have, have become Christ followers, and you've said, I'm standing on the rock, Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's forgiven my sin. I'm trusting in his blood that was shed on the cross to pay for the penalty of my rebellion. And you're following him now, and you're, you're counting on him. But here at our church, like we work really hard to make sense of Jesus and walking with him. And whenever I do weddings, I'm, tr- I'm working really hard to do that as well there. But at this particular wedding yesterday, it was really interesting. Because it's my family. So I have uncles there, cousins there, people have known me since I was, you know, a baby. And I've got cousins who knew me before I really followed Christ seriously. And so it's not easy to get, you know, because when we were growing up together, I was the one stirring up trouble at weddings, you know. <laughs> Parents were focused on other things, so I'm having fun at weddings and getting into things and, and instigating things. And now here I am performing the ceremony. And so my thought is, oh, I wonder what my cousins are thinking, you know. And, and so my goal is to be really clear and to try to avoid being churchy and weird. And if I'm going to be churchy, I want to explain the church talk. I want to explain the church words. I don't want it to be weird for them. I, I don't want them to trip over my and stumble over my approach or my phrases or my sayings. I don't want them to stumble over what I'm saying. If they're going to stumble or reject something, I don't want to be the source of that stumbling. Sadly, sometimes this is the case with us, isn't it? Is we are the reason that people are stumbling around and can't find Christ because our lives and the message, it doesn't always match up. And so I'm very focused on, okay, God, I want to, I want to, I want to handle this well because there's a lot of people that I really care about in this room. And that's what we want. That's what we want here. But ultimately, Peter states this. Look at He says, they stumble, for those that do stumble on Christ, not just on us, but on Christ, they trip over that stone because they disobey the message. They don't want to yield their lives to Jesus. Many people, that's, that's, they come to Christ and they trip, they stumble over him. They, don't, they reject his message, which is also, he says, what they were destined for. So Peter points to Jesus is the living stone, the foundational cornerstone on which all else is built and supported by. But then to further extend the metaphor, look back at verse 4. Look back at verse 4. It's, it's basically, Peter calls Christ followers like living stones. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God. Look at the next verse, verse 5. 
you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, I've never seen living stones in a physical building. Have you? Have you seen living stones? Some included me in yesterday, or earlier, first service, Frozen. You know, you've seen living stones, I guess, if you've seen that build, movie. But I've never seen a physical living stone. But check this out. Here's a picture of some living walls. Okay, so this is a human tower. This is a picture from a 200-year-old tradition that happens every year in Spain. It's a Catalan tradition. Uh, they, build, they build these human towers that reach up to 10 stories tall. 10 stories. Can you imagine that? And teams are considered to have been successful if they can build their tower and then deconstruct their tower without a fall. And I was watching some on YouTube, and I wish I had, if we had time to show some of these clips, but it's pretty fascinating. These folks, they'll get up seven, eight stories high, and they just anchor in on limbs, and they grab their body and other people's bodies in a certain way, and then they'll just kind of lock in and kind of just stay tight while the next person comes up and takes position and locks in. And, and it's, you, as you can imagine, you don't want people up at the top like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> you, you want to be nice and firm, and you want to be playing your role because it's that important. And the people near the top are wearing helmets because people die. I googled this, and there's there's deaths because people fall and hit their hit their head. So we're going to try this out to make a point, okay? <laughs> so gather around. This is a team building exercise to see how much we trust each other. So, no. Now, now the. The spiritual house that Peter is describing is not a competition. Peter wants to make it clear. Your new identity in Christ is, is, is far greater than you might initially think. We're being built into something that is completely different. And the goal is not just to build something tall. The goal is to add our lives to lock in and build something eternal to play our part and to play it well. Now, we don't have a traditional church building, do we? We have a portable church. And so in many ways... We reflect what Peter's describing here because essentially we're the building. We're the living stones in a spiritual household. This is not, this is the city of Riverside's building. We have chairs when we show up. For those of you that get here at 730, all you arrive to is chairs. And and then everything is built. We have teams of people, volunteers, hundreds of people that help build this all. Living stones. I love the metaphor. It's very encouraging to me because essentially that's, that's, that's how we operate. Now, don't get me wrong. In some ways, a building would be great. It'd be great. And we thought last year that we might get a building, and we didn't. The process stalled out. It's not our time yet. But here's the truth about church buildings. They're very, very impressive, aren't they? <laughs> They're very impressive. We're naturally drawn to the structure, to the building, aren't you? I, I've had this conversation happen countless times when people find out that I'm a pastor I mean, that's, that's always an interesting introduction, okay? So just imagine, you know, what that might be like. Everything's going well until they ask me what I do, and then it's always an awkward, like, where do you go from here? Um, but usually they'll say, oh, okay, you know, so where's your building? And then I, and what makes it more awkward is we don't have a building, and so I oh, uh, we meet at the Orange Terrace Community Center. <laughs> We're a portable church. We don't own a building. And then sometimes I can just read the confusion on their face, and then sometimes I can read the skepticism, like, this guy's a nut. First, he's a pastor. He doesn't have a building. What's that? You know, because we, we equate church to a place, to a building, not to people. 
and I get it. Buildings are really impressive. I've seen some impressive cathedrals and churches. Now, here's a picture of a German cathedral that a mission team of ours got to, got to tour through in Cologne. This is an, it's an awe-inspiring, grand building. It's fascinating. You walk through there, the, it's, it's, it's amazing. And it's, very, it's very worshipful as well. The tour was awesome. Here's a picture of the front doors. You walk in through these front doors, and there are, there are these stone sculptures of some of the key figures in the Bible, I'm assuming. You know, they didn't have them all marked really clearly, but, you know, okay, that's probably Peter, and that's probably John, and that's probably Paul, and, and it's, it's impressive. But you know what? They're, they're stone structures. They're stone people, okay? They're not alive. It's inspiring, though, isn't it? And then you go inside, and there's catacombs underneath, and, and we toured the catacombs, and in the catacombs were the, they said, were the bones of the, these Christian martyrs who, who had died and given their faith. And so that, that was, I'd never been in a place like that before. And then all around are these stained glass windows. Here's the, one of the stained glass pictures. These are scenes and people from Scripture, and they tell a story. And there's, there's, they're awe-inspiring. But you know what? The statues and the stained glass are not alive. They're not alive. It was very worshipful, but I, I tell you what, I was not inspired to the point to where my wife and I came home from that trip and decided to pack up our family and move to be right there beside the cathedral so that we could worship there that next week. Because it's just a building. It's just a stone building. You know what's far more inspiring to me? Is this gathering. It's the people. Living stones. This is far more motivating to me. You people. You're living stones in a spiritual household. We don't have a building that is ours. And if God wants that for us, and we had a point where he, he provides and we decide it's time to stretch to, to, to do something like that, if he makes a way in his timing, but, but for now, I wouldn't trade anything than to band together with a group of people like with you for all eternity we are like living stones who have and like those human towers we've kind of locked in on some things we said these are important things we're going to build on these things we're going to keep a tight grip on how we approach our mission and our values here's our own version of of the living stones in this spiritual household this is a picture of the drone that took a photo of our church at our 10-year anniversary this is all of us in the courtyard right out the doors when we were having a baptism and there was a drone overhead, and we said, smile and wave. But I tell you what, I couldn't envision that this would come about in 10 years. But since we're building on the cornerstone, since we're building on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the solid rock, and a bunch of living stones, people who said, hey, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm anchoring, I'm locking in, I'm, I'm going to be rooted, I'm going to contribute with my life. Since that has occurred, then God has been building something significant here that will make a difference for all eternity. And I love where the passage goes from here. Look at verses 9 and 10. Peter writes, But you, to the group, you are a chosen people. We talked in chapter 1, verse 1, you're elect exiles. You've been chosen. God loves you. He's chosen you. He's called you to a relationship. He's, you're a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation, he's called you to live differently. This is who you are. This is your identity. You're to live differently. 
And you know what? Sometimes it's, it's different, and you need to clarify what looks weird to the world and say, this is why I do what I do. This is why I live the way I live. Here's why. Let them stumble over Christ and not just being weird. And this is a real challenge for us as, as people because there's a whole segment of Christianity that just doesn't make sense to the world because it's, it's, it's not explained. It just doesn't make sense to people. But live differently and then give an explanation. We're going to get to a verse later on in this series that talks about giving an account. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Peter goes on, a holy nation, a people who belong to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10, once you were not a people. Look at verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We've been built into something God is using in this community. And if we don't participate and include our lives in this spiritual household, then we miss out on so much of what God is wanting to do in us and through us. If you're a living stone, then add your life here. Add your life here. Don't, don't just give a sliver of your... Add your life here. Anchor in. Think about that, that human tower. Firm up your commitments. So support through your life what God is building here. If you're a wobbly part of this place, uh, that affects. That affects the group. And if you would say, man, I'm a part, I'm a part of this church, but, but I'm kind of a wobbly part, then ask God, God, what do I need to do with that? What do you want me to do with that? And if you would say, I'm committed here, then, then I would say, be here. Be all in here. Join with us with what God is building through our lives. Here's our, here's our group purpose. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the story he wants us to share. That's, that's the hope that the world has. That's the only thing we truly have to offer people is the hope of Christ from, from darkness to light. We're standing on a solid rock. This is a great time of year to share the message of hope, this message of hope, with all those around us in this community. If, you, if you've been here and you're like, I'm not sure, I'm just, I, I feel wobbly in this, and I'm not sure how to, then, then figure out what's holding me back. Can you anchor in? Can you help us build what God is wanting to build here? If not this place, then find a place where you can climb aboard, get on that tower, and just say, I'm here, and I want to help move this thing forward. I want to make this thing go. But don't live all of life as a living stone that's, that has no uh, tie to a spiritual house. This is a great time of year. Here's our Easter invite. This is the message of Easter. That Jesus died and he rose again. We were spiritually in the dark and he brought us into the light. He, he rescued us. And that's, that's what we have to share. And we are building our lives on that firm, solid foundation. And so would you begin to pray for the opportunity we have as a church this Easter to unite again around this common purpose of declaring his praises to this world. To a world that is desperately in need of hope. Don't think, well, I don't know what I'll say. God, God will give you the words to say. If you'll get into those conversations, God will help you as you rely on Him. He is faithful to do that. He draws from, he draws from this that's stored up in our lives. He'll draw this out of you. If you get into this, He'll draw this out of you in those moments. As our worship team comes up, back up to the stage, I want to encourage you to take a look at some of these 
final next steps. Number one, commit to build together with others at OCC. That's what we've been talking about this morning. Consider what it would mean to do this. And, you know, in that first step up there at the top, we have some specific ways. And John and our host usually, all of our pastors can, can direct you to what the next step is for you if you're not really sure. T- come and talk to one of our staff members at the back uh, get involved table, and you certainly talk to John because he can fill you in on what is the way to get uh, more connected here, more committed to to building together with us here. And so we have a very clear process that we don't like to really um, uh, short circuit or go around because it's very intentional. There's very specific steps we want to uh, lead people through. And so the second thing here is consider who could I invite to our Easter service? Just ask God. God, begin to help me to Uh, Get clear on who I should extend an Easter invitation to. We're going to provide you resources over the next few weeks to invite folks to Easter. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time and this group. We thank you for the work you're doing here in us. And um, God, you've chosen to include us in your great plan. We're we're living stones in in a spiritual family, standing on the rock solid, finished work of Jesus and trying to help people all around us find hope. And so, Lord, would you use us here as a group and as individuals even, Lord, to live out this new identity before a hurting world. Lord, help us to point people to to you through our lives, Lord. Help us to to not make it difficult for people to come to know you. Help us not, uh, through our lives, be a stumbling block to others, Lord. If people stumble on Christ, Lord, then we pray that you would uh, break down barriers and, and chip away at hard hearts. But God, help us, God, to be all in investing with our lives for this season, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Rescue.